Hello, and welcome. This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show where we are still asking all the questions. We're always, always asking the questions. The ones that will never have answers. But they'll keep you from joining a cult. That's true. Hopefully. Yeah. That's our goal here, really. Please don't join a cult. Yeah. No matter what it is. I think people think that because it's 2021, cults aren't really a thing anymore. Wrong. Wrong. Yeah. You know, Nexium. We covered it. Episode six. Mm-hmm. Hit that shit up. There's like this uh, cult floating around on TikTok. Oh, shit. A TikTok cult? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, But it's like a bunch of people that live. I don't know where it is. Somewhere in... I want to say somewhere in Tennessee. In a commune? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there always is one. Yeah. And the funny thing is the main thing that they state in their videos, and it's always different people, but they're talking about the same place, mm-hmm. is you can come and go as you please. Like, they make sure that they say that. <laughs> and I don't know what the terminology is, but there's been a few people who specialize in cult psychology. Yeah. That have been like... You guys, this is 100% a cult. 100%. Don't do it. If someone is just putting an address out on a place like TikTok and telling you that this is what we do, you can come and go as you please, don't fucking go there. No, no. No. You're in a cult. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. And then we're going to have to do an episode about it. Yeah. At some point, the gates are going to close. Yes, absolutely. And you're going to be like... Uh, I thought we could leave. I have an appointment. Yeah. They'd be like, no, well, here's the doctor you need to see now. Yeah. We've just gotten word from Zorp (laughs) and come and go as you please is no longer in the doctrine. Yeah. So. Doesn't exist anymore. Gates are closed. Sorry about you. Mm -hmm. If you left anything behind, we'll replace it for you. Except close because we share those. So don't join a TikTok cult. Instead, you should look at our TikTok. Yeah. You're not going to be required to live communally when you join our TikTok. No. All you have to do is like hit follow. That's it. Follow our TikTok, but don't follow our non-existent cult. That's right. Anyways. is correct. So we're doing a cult today, if you uh, didn't get that message through that conversation, but before... You should have, because it was obvious. It was very obvious. And what did we learn from that conversation? Don't join a cult. Thank you. Just Um, don't. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. So we didn't really have a breakfast snook this morning. Maddie did offer me a cinnamon roll, but my mom kind of brought donuts this morning. So I had half a donut. Yeah, I had a cinnamon roll and two pieces of bacon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, I slept in a skosh and Dakota got up and made breakfast, but he said that he got the bacon made and was like, I don't really feel like dealing with hash browns. So I was like, that's fine. We've been struggling with our plumbing this week. Mm -hmm. So we're both kind of just fucked off about it in general me more so than him he seems to be pretty blase but so fuck the hash browns so yeah 
Fuck the hash browns. I can't run the goddamn dishwasher. Mm. I can't take a shower that lasts longer than four minutes, and this is not conducive to my mental health. <laughs> but at least you had bacon. <laughs> at least I had bacon and a cinnamon roll. <laughs> yeah, we take mental health showers in this house. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Uh, and that's, like, literally what we call them. We have showers you take because you don't want to be the smelly kid in class. Right. But then, you know, when you're feeling testy. Get in the shower. Get in the shower. When Dakota's throwing is a little fit, like dudes do, I'm like, hey, why don't you go take a shower? Because you're this. It's not working for me. Yeah. When my kids don't feel good, I'm like, are you sure you don't just need to take a shower? Because you'll probably feel better after one. Hands down. Always. Always. Like, you got to leave work because you feel sick? Get home and take a shower. Almost every single time I've ever left work early from being sick, that is exactly what I do. Yeah. It's necessary. I just sit in the shower. Yeah. When I was, I've done that my whole life, sit in the shower. And people used to give me a lot of shit about it. They're like, what are you, why are you sitting in the shower? And I'm like, why are you not? Have you tried it? Because it's the best. So don't come at me with that nonsense until you've tried it. It's just necessary. Yeah. The steam, the hot water, when, you know, just, if you've never sat in the shower, give it a try and then let us know how it changed your life because I know it will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so for Chip's Corner, he was a little upset on our outlook on Nickelback, but also agreed that not every rock song is metal so clearly and he also said the high beam story from scary stories really fucked him up my whole life it has stuck with me i will say one thing about the nickelback thing a lot of people think that it's kind of just like a cliche at this point to hate on nickelback but i actually have a reason that is larger than just the fact that their music is absolute garbage Mm -hmm. which it is but it's not an opinion. That's a fact. Facts are facts, people. But you can be in a shit band. That's fine. The problem with Nickelback is, and this is a thing that I've never been able to, like, forget. I think I was, like, a senior in high school. And, I mean, I was extra music snob when mm-hmm. I was younger. I still am, but I try really hard to combat that part of me and not just be like, oh, you you like butt rock? You're a trash person. <laughs> I try really hard not to do that. That's but good. I was reading an article that was an interview with Chad Kroger, which is the lead singer of Nickelback. Yeah. And The guy asked him something about his fans, like, when you meet your fans, you know, a general question, like, basically sending him up to say, oh, I love my fans. They're great. I always love meeting them. Mm -hmm. And he was just, like, shitting on his fans. He's like, yeah, I don't don't care about the fans. Oh. I don't don't give a shit about what they want, or I typically don't even meet them. He was just, like, talking about how... The How fans it's an don't inconvenience for him. Yeah, it's just like they're too big to worry about their fans, and I'm oh, like, no, bitch, no. That 
first of all, you can't be that terrible and also be a dick about it. Yeah. You should be the nicest guy. Mm-hmm. Your hair is fucking terrible. You won't give up the 90s goatee and you're making trash music. Dude. It does make me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Just the overall appearance. I saw a picture of him and he had short hair. Mm-hmm. He got rid of that long, weird hair, but he still looks weird with the short hair. (laughs) I don't remember. I think I saw a picture of him on Facebook. It was some, like, meme about Nickelback, of course. And. What is happening? I don't know which is worse. (laughs) Maybe if you got rid of the, because his hair is, like, white and his goatee is, like, dark dark brown Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just it's not good it's not a good look chad and your name is chad i just all of the tropes all of the douche tropes that guy is he just is i can't anyway the fans thing that is the reason why i don't feel bad talking mad shit on nickelback that you have you have to respect your fans no matter what media you're doing. If right. someone if you're making money because people are buying your shit, mm-hmm. you gotta appreciate it. You can't just be like, oh, well, I'm huge because I'm huge. No, you're not. You're not, bro. No. So sorry, Chip. Sorry, Chip. Chad Kroger is a fucking dick. <laughs> Anyway, maybe Nickelback is a cult. There, that has to be the only explanation Ooh. why people buy their albums. That might be it. People you might be onto something. Weigh in on this. Is he a cult leader? Why else would people like his shit? We're going to get a strongly worded email. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All you Nickelback enthusiasts, please send us a strongly worded email. I'll read every sentence of that shit. Allowed on this podcast. Oh my gosh. Are there Gabriel's Law developments? Yes. Um, We got a Google alert about something about Gabriel's Law. Here it is. So this is an article by a guy of the last name of Lackey in the Antelope Valley Press. I think that... He wrote this article because April was Child Abuse Awareness Month, which mm-hmm. I didn't even know. I didn't either. I didn't see anyone talk about it, and we dropped the ball on that for sure. I feel like we should have known. But this is a guy that introduced Gabriel's Law, uh, which is Bill AB31, for the centralized office for child protection agencies. It said... Gabriel's Law had its first hearing in the Assembly of Human Services Committee. They just presented on the bill. Okay. So as of this publication, the 22nd, it didn't say whether or not legislature was going to move this further in the the process, but they did have its first hearing in front of a committee. So that's progress. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't understand why, why people aren't like, yeah. We should do that. Yeah. Let's move this along. It seems obvious. Oh, it's very obvious. There's no gray area. If there's a centralized hub for, like, the Doe Network, Mm -hmm. you can look up John and Jane Doe's 
in every single state in the United States, why don't we have the same thing for child abuse? Yeah. Uh, duh. It's weird. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to keep following that. That's the only alert we've gotten on it so far. So the Google alerts are paying off. We get a shit ton about Skinwalker Ranch and UFOs. We do. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we do. I'm going to have to go through these alerts and assemble like an entire episode around UFO and Skinwalker Ranch updates. You could. That would be perfect. We're going to have to do that because we there are to that. too many to like put it in part as part of the intro. Oh, yeah. There's it's an episode. We have like 20 for each one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so that's the news. I guess we're just going to get into it. We're going to talk about the Branch Davidians. Yeah, we are. This is a really weird cult. It is. Like, it's one of the cults that pop up when you type cults in the U.S. But yeah. you don't hear about it. Yeah, I think the reason this always comes up is because of Waco. Like, everybody's yes. heard of that particular event, but the rest of it is kind of like, no one cares. Yeah. Which we, is crazy, but... Because you should care. Some weird-ass shit happens. Yeah. So, the Branch Davidians, they're a religious group, obviously, David, mm-hmm. duh. They're a religious group, and they are an offshoot of the General Association of Davidian Seventh-day Adventists, which the General Association itself is an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists. So It's an offshoot of an offshoot. Yes. The Branch Davidians is like yeah. down the street and around the corner mm-hmm. from Seventh-day Adventists. And Seventh-day Adventists are a Christian-based group. I don't know a ton about Seventh-day Adventists, but their religious text is the Bible and the God they worship is the Christian God. So they have a few differences from your typical, like, Christian religion. They're more strict and they don't live communally or anything like that, but they are more conservative, more strict. Mm -hmm. Anyone who is a fan of Gilmore Girls... Lane Kim, her mom, they are Seventh-day Adventists. Yep. So, if you've never seen Gilmore Girls, I'm disappointed in you. Now I want to rewatch it. I think I might. You should. I've watched it way too many times. But I was watching it when you got here, actually. I just, it's so comforting. It's so comforting. Why? I don't know. Something about Lorelai makes my heart happy. Yeah. And I've always wanted to be Lorelai. Like, I started watching Gilmore Girls when I was probably, like, 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted to be Rory. I always wanted to be Lorelai. Yeah. I was like, God, Lorelai is so cool. She is, though. She is the coolest. And she's, like, a strong-ass bitch. Yeah. The thing now for people is to call out problematic things is about a bird old... in your house? No. It sounded... It's, like, right out here. To me, it sounds yeah. like it's, like, in the hallway. That's because these windows are from 1975. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed lately, like, the thing is for people to go back on old TV shows and talk about... And pick them apart. And pick them apart. All these things that are super problematic about these shows. And I'm like, okay, you're right. But you're looking at 
Friends, you're looking at a 1995 episode of Friends yeah. through a 2021 lens. Mm-hmm. Things that were okay in 2018 are not okay in 2021. Yeah. And you're going all the way back to 95. We know that shit was like... It was different. It was different. Marginalized groups were treated much differently than they are now. We all know that. And the important thing is we know it. I can still watch Friends and think it's hilarious. I can still watch Gilmore Girls and see that it was ahead of its time for it to be portraying a single mom raising a child by herself with zero help. Right. Let me, let me love it still. Yeah. Like, please stop posting these articles, 20 of the most problematic things about Lorelai Gilmore. Please don't do that. Yeah. There's, to me, like, why, like... It's not a toxic show. No. Like, you're going to choose Gilmore Girls to write a fucking article on? Move on with your life. Yeah, move the fuck on. When I was a little kid, when I watched Gilmore Girls, I didn't think about what's, oh, what's problematic about Lorelai. I thought, when I grow up, I want to be a woman who makes shit happen for myself. Yeah. That's what I saw. And, you know, I think that's what I love about, like, Roseanne. Yeah. Is... It's not this pretty picture, even though it's a TV show. I think that it was also kind of ahead of its time because it's like, this is this is what real life family looks like a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it was toxic. I think it was like a show full of sarcastic ass people who aren't perfect, who have struggles. And yeah, that's fucking great. Yeah. And I think it's it's a problem to... To demand that TV characters aren't flawed. Right. Because I think... Who wants to watch that? No one wants to watch That's that. That's why you like shows is because you you connect in some way with that character. Yeah. I mean, people constantly talk about TV shows and movies falsely portraying beauty standards and falsely portraying romantic standards. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, that's true. We need to stop setting the beauty standard for women so high that it's actually impossible to attain so that we all feel like we're ugly as fuck Mm -hmm. we need to stop doing that but we also need to stop stop demanding that our tv characters are emotionally and mentally perfect yeah people say shit that's not right to say without even thinking that's Mm -hmm. just people people fuck up and i think we should portray that authentically on tv yeah because the point is if you say something that's not okay to say whether you in anger say something derogatory or whatever the point is what you say has a consequence Mm -hmm. and you have to deal with it and it happens to everyone and it happens to everyone at some point so like a lot of people say like uh, Lorelai set a bad example for Rory because she slept with Christopher whenever he was with Sherry. Mm-hmm. People fucking cheat all the time. Yeah. It happens so often. And she wasn't even, she didn't cheat on anyone. And yeah. he was telling her that he was leaving Sherry. They didn't know Sherry was pregnant. Like, you know, it's what? just come like, on. It, come on. Like, sometimes shows just have to even though it's fictional, have to air out dirty laundry. Yeah. So people can feel comfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because 
in a moment of vulnerability, does someone sleep with their ex while they still have a significant other? It, yeah. Yeah. It happens daily. Yeah. So can we give Lorelai a little slack? Mm-hmm. Uh, please. Let, let me have my childhood hero, people. Stop Watch Gilmore it. Girls, everyone. Just do it. Just do it. Please and thank you. And and stop criticizing her. Yeah, Jesus. Real. Can we just criticize, like, male characters from now on? Can we stop criticizing my female leaders? Ugh. Yeah. Okay, anyway. So. The Seventh-day Adventists were really a conservative religious group which obviously a lot of them are right the general association of davidians was established in 1935 by victor hotef so this is our oldest cult i think 1935 i think it's our oldest that we've covered yeah oh it is so victor hotef was a member of the seventh day adventist church and he wrote a series of papers titled The Shepherd's Rod, which called for reforms of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And it was rejected by the Adventist leaders as being contrary to their beliefs. Hotep left the Seventh-day Adventist Church and instead founded the General Association of Davidians Seventh-day Adventist. That's too many. Too much. Too many names. So he founded the Davidians and settled on a piece of property on the western side of Waco, Texas, in a compound called the Mount Carmel Center. Weird. I agree. That's Carmel? so weird. Yeah. Carmel. Mount Carmel. Not caramel. No. It's literally C-A-R-M-E-L, Carmel. And, of course, they begin preparing for the second coming. As you do. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about in a lot of cults, the doomsday element is typically, especially in religious cults, there is there is a, a doomsday. Yes. So they're preparing for it. Mm-hmm. They carry on like this kind of unproblematically for a long time until Victor Hotev dies in 1955 and his wife Florence then becomes the leader of the Davidians. So I'm into the name Florence. I like it. What would I abbreviate the name Florence to? Flora? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I'm into it. That same year, 1955, Benjamin Roden, who was a follower of Hotef and called himself The Branch. Okay. Uh... Alrighty. This is after the verse in Isaiah 11.1, which talks about the anointed branch. Mm -hmm. So Benjamin Roden is anointed by the Lord, apparently. Of course he is. As they are. Mm -hmm. So he called for the Davidians to go to the Mount Carmel Center to hear his message. And this was the beginning of the group that would go from being the general association of Davidians to the branch Davidians because Benjamin Rowden is the branch. Gross. So. I hate that so much. That's the actual worst. Yeah. The branch. But it gets weirder. Uh, As 
as they do. Um, so that's like the origin story. This is how we've come to be Branch Davidians. Yeah. We're going to go through the timeline before we break down some of the worser aspects mm-hmm. of this story. Yeah. I'm aware worser is not a word. It is now. It is now. Worser. Like we're going back a little bit. In 1929, Hotef, he was a Bulgarian immigrant and Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath teacher from Southern California, presented his book called The Shepherd's Rod to the church. Mm. And it was rejected as being contrary to the basic teachings. And so Hotep and his followers were disfellowshipped. Yeah. So that seems like an overreaction. They could have just been like, you know what? We're not into the book uh, and move on. Yeah. It's awkward. It's It's awkward. In 1934, Hotef established the headquarters for his group, the Davidians, west of Waco. And in 1942, he renamed the group as General Association of Davidian Seventh-day Adventists, which I hate saying so much. It, yeah. And Davidian, which indicated its belief in the restoration of the Davidic Kingdom of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're like on the David aspect from the Old Testament of the yeah. Bible. Yeah. And their like flag or symbol does have the Star of David, but it's filled in differently than the Jewish Star of David. Mm-hmm. So and there's a snake in it, which I thought was odd. Ugh. So I don't know. That's weird. It's weird because in your typical Christian doctrine, snakes are considered evil. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because they don't have legs. They're probably. Yeah. I don't really like snakes. I'm indifferent to snakes. I'd rather not be around one. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get bitten by one, but yeah. I don't mind. Like, I held a baby python once. I don't think I'd want to do that. I also held a baby boa constrictor and you could feel it like squeezing my hand and it was kind of like it was cool i'll be honest with you that sounds terrifying to me but i think the reason i don't find them scary is because they don't have legs then on the other end of the spectrum spiders have too many legs and that's why they're horrifying (laughs) i wouldn't hold a spider either you could not pay me enough money to hold a spider my heart would stop and i would pass away i think Either way, spider or snake, I want nothing to do with either of them. Mm-hmm. And they just make me very uncomfortable. Denzel, our old man outside cat, kills snakes and eats them on the front porch all the time. So yeah. sometimes I'll walk out there and there's like a snake head just still like opening and closing its mouth. And I'm like, I can't exit my home now. <laughs> That's hilarious. I can't. Like, I'm going to have to stay here for days now until yeah. it goes away. That's That's how I feel about spiders. I was at my mom's, I must have been, like, in high school still, and our bathroom had two doors. One door went to my mom's room, and one door went to the hallway, Yeah. and I was had both doors locked because I have so many siblings, and, you know, etiquette is not a thing in our house. Yeah. So, you know, you're in the shower, it doesn't, you're on the toilet, no one cares, we just no, walk in. No one cares. Hey, what's up? Uh, so I locked the door. Yeah. Well, there was, I get... I, like, push back the shower curtain. Boom, there's a spider on the floor. I'm standing on the toilet in a towel yelling 
and both doors are locked. I'm trapped in the bathroom with a spider and I can't, and I'm naked and I can't do anything. No. I was like, I, this is it. This is the end. That thing's going to attack me. It's going to get on me and suck out all my life's blood. But luckily, we all knew how to card the door, get in. So my sister saved me. I mean, I don't, I don't mind squishing a spider. Oh, I can't, can't do it. What I do mind is serpents Mm -hmm. slithering around what I call my home. Yeah. And I grew up on two farms. Yeah. So you'd think you would at least. We saw snakes all the time. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. I grew up in the country as well. You would think that uh, spiders wouldn't be that big of a deal. They are. Yeah. Yeah. They're a huge deal. Mm. Anyways. Anyways. Okay. So we're in 1955 now. Hotef is dead. His wife takes over. And this is when Benjamin Roden delivers his speech at Mount Carmel Center. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Mount Carmel. Maybe it is Mount Carmel. But I want to say Carmel. I'm going to say Carmel as well. Um, It's funnier. Yeah. So Florence, Mrs. Hotef, mm. was convinced that an apocalypse would occur in 1959, a date which is not found in her husband's original writings. So that's weird. Mm-hmm. And... Florence and her council gathered hundreds of their followers at the Mount Carmel Center, and um, which was located near Waco, for the fulfillment of the prophecy, which is written in Ezekiel 9. Yeah. Now, I, am, I, I don't know anything about the Bible, so yeah. that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. I have read all of the Bible collectively. But I don't really know, like, what event this is talking about in Ezekiel 9. Let's see. This is what the interwebs has to tell us. So this book contains prophecies attributed to the prophet Ezekiel. And the chapter, chapter 9, is subtitled, The Wicked Are Slain. And contains God's judgment on the idolaters, people who worship foreign idols that are not God, and uh, defiled the temple of Jerusalem. So basically, it's the prophecy is that God is going to smite the wicked, essentially. It doesn't talk anything about like apocalyptic events, though. It doesn't seem like it's not, doesn't seem to be world ending. Right. But whatever okay so obviously this doesn't happen and in 1957 florence sold the old mount carmel center and purchased 941 acres near elk texas which is 13 miles north of waco and just called it new mount carmel center creative super creative and by now it's 1959 Florence's prophecy has failed. In 1962, Florence dissolved the Davidians and sold all but 78 acres of the new Mount Carmel property. But later that year, Roden, the branch, took possession of new Mount Carmel and began efforts to acquire the remaining 78 acres. 
Yes. So it took Benjamin Roden several years to actually acquire all of the property. Yeah. So it wasn't until February of 1973 that New Mount Carmel was actually officially sold to Benjamin Roden. But I believe he was in the interim between 62 and 73, he was operating the compound yeah. uh, with the Davidians and all of that. So New Mount Carmel is sold to Benjamin Roden, his wife Lois, and their son George. And they were the trustees for the General Association of Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. Try putting that on a resume. Fuck. So, and from this point on, it was simply known as Mount Carmel. They've done away with New Mount Carmel Center. It's just Mount Carmel. You can't even abbreviate that. No. G-A-B-D-S-D-A. G-A-B-D-S-D-A. <laughs> it sounds terrible. <laughs> it doesn't have like a flow. No. So in 1978, Benjamin Roden died. People just be dying. Yeah. And Lois Roden became the Davidian prophet <laughs> on the compound. Again with. The prophets. Weird how you can just suddenly become the prophet because your spouse has passed away. Yeah. You have ascended to the prophecy. Yeah. Whoever is making you this prophet is like, your husband's dead. It's your turn now. We we now have a vacancy and uh, your credentials look like they meet our requirements yeah. and you're hired. Yeah. All right. So although the members were torn between allegiance to Lois or George. I never, like, saw why. There was question about, is it Lois, is it George? But people were, like, feeling George and some others were feeling Lois, so I don't know. How old was George? He had to have been a young adult. Yeah, I believe he was. Uh, Yeah, he was. The prophet thing is really... God. I... I hate that so much. Mm-hmm. It's so... Ugh. No one who is right-minded is going to claim to be a prophet of God. No, it makes you sound insane. Yes. <laughs> like, actually insane. I hate that so much. It's so, like... Mm. It just makes... Makes you, like, do that scrunch face. I'm doing it right now. Like, if you sat here and told me right now, Emily, by the way, I am a prophet of God. I'd be like, everything we have here is over. (laughs) All right. Well, we're breaking up. (laughs) This is it for me. I no longer trust you or anything you say. Absolutely. You can't trust them. Someone referring to themselves as a prophet, you can't trust them. No. It's nefarious at best. They are the complete opposite. Absolutely. So in 1979, George officially challenges Lois's presidency. And this really does divide the congregation. But I don't think they have actually like split up. They're still at Mount Carmel. And then in 1981, a young man by the name of Vernon Howell arrives at Mount Carmel and he is studying the biblical prophecy of course 
under the ministrations of Lois. And Lois proclaims him as the spiritual leader, and he changes his name to David Koresh. Cool. So Lois and Koresh engage in an affair. Now, Koresh is in his 20s, and Lois is in her 60s. So do with that information what you will. But Koresh said he wanted to have a child with Lois because he believed this child would be the chosen one, destined to defeat Lord Voldemort and save the Wizarding World, of course. If that would have been the case, I would have been fine with it. I would have been on board. Yeah. That was literally the first thought that came into my (laughs) brain when I read this in the article. The chosen one? Okay. Right. So, right. Okay. So Lord Voldemort is coming into the story eventually. I got it. So weird, weird, weird as fuck from the day Koresh arrives. Mm -hmm. While Koresh was the spiritual leader, he was gaining like a group of people within the Davidians who were really following him. Yeah. So he's got this leadership role but at this point he's kind of like you know what this isn't enough this isn't enough i need to be the one in charge Mm -hmm. and him and george not cool with each other i george is like fuck you dude i was born into this yeah this shit is mine and crash is like "Mm, but my kid's the chosen one so yeah in 1983 Koresh actually attempts to seize the leadership role from both Lois and George. Lots of power struggle happening here. Yeah, this is kind of reminding me of, like, the Wars of the Roses, the 100 Years War in Europe, you know? Okay, I can see that. So, you've got the Yorks, and you've got the Lancasters, and you've got all these head-butting shit. That is what it's reminding me of. Sometimes it's this king, sometimes it's that one, this one gets killed, this one marries someone from France. It's a crapshoot. <laughs> France, they played a huge role in the, all that shit. Anyway, so in 1984, Koresh and his followers leave Mount Carmel, and George assumes the leadership role, and he decides to rename the compound to Rodenville. No. Um, this makes me think of rats. <laughs> when I saw it, I just thought Rodentville. Yeah. 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 Rodentville. That reminds me of, you've seen Frozen. I've seen Frozen. What's the name, that little guy, that little, like, king dude where everyone pronounces the name of his kingdom wrong and he gets really mad when they do it? Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know the name of it. God, what is it? I don't know. I I literally drawing a blank. I've seen Frozen <laughs> like twice. I don't know. What it really does remind me of is the show Alaskan Bush People. Because they are living in Alaska, obviously, creating their own little family community. And they call it Brown Town. <laughs> <laughs> because their last name is Brown. And he's going the same route, Rodenville. <gasps> okay. 
So that dude in Frozen is the Duke of Wesselton, and everyone oh. calls it Weaseltown. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. <laughs> I knew it was something to do with rodents. Uh, so George is a clever Trevor over here with Rodenville. And in 1986, Lois Roden dies. So she just like fucking hands up. I don't want to deal with this shit anymore mm-hmm. from 84 to 86. And she died. And after her death, George is trying to regain full control from the followers that are still at Rodenville. And the ones who left with Koresh. And to do this, of course, he challenges Koresh to raise the dead. Why wouldn't he? Of course. No big deal. (laughs) Um, He even went so far as to exhume a corpse. Oh, no. Of a former Davidian who had passed away and was, like, buried on the compound. So... Okay. Basically, what we have here is the cult version of a wizard's duel. (laughs) I just wish I could have been there. (laughs) Like, if I could time travel back to this event and witness it, I just want to know what the people standing around them were reacting like. Like, what did this look like? What did this look like as it was happening? Yo, Koresh. Can you raise the dead? (laughs) (laughs) We got this corpse. And I need you to see what's up. It's the perfect corpse. The perfect corpse for raising the dead. We're going to Lazarus this motherfucker. I just, I can't imagine being in the crowd and experiencing this with a straight face. No. How can you be an onlooker and just be like, yeah, that seems totally logical. That's legit. (laughs) Like, what did they do when nothing happened? Yeah. They just, like, slow clapped or... They, like, uh... Awkwardly walked away? Yeah. I just... I just have to know how this went down. (laughs) (laughs) Why did no one film this? Exactly. They had video cameras. Yeah. They absolutely did. I just don't understand. I... There's no way I could witness this event without cackling with laughter. Like, (laughs) in in a cult or not. In a cult or not. I'm like, yo, what? No. (laughs) Oh, yikes. This is the first event in a cult where we have, like, Raising the Dead proposed. Whoa. So, this is supposed to demonstrate spiritual supremacy. Did this dude actually think one of them was going to do it? Or was he just like... This is impossible, but I'm going to challenge him and see so he can fail in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. Could have been. I don't know. I That seems like a little too lucid of a thought for this Rodenville fella yeah. to have come to, but maybe. But at the end of the day, it's illegal to exhume a body yes. as just a lay person. So Koresh, instead of, you know, raising the dead tries to use this opportunity to get charges filed against George. But he's told he needed actual evidence to substantiate the charges because I guess it happened and no one took pictures, no one videotaped it. 
so there wasn't any proof that he actually dug up this body. I mean, I don't think they get calls like that every day. Probably not. So they're like, "Mm, yeah, I'm going to need to see a picture of that. Yeah, exactly. So, So, uh, I mean, yeah, you can't just bring charges based solely on hearsay. Exactly. Obviously, he needs evidence. So in 1987, in November, Koresh and seven of his followers raided Mount Carmel equipped with semi-automatic weapons, shotguns, and almost 400 rounds of ammunition. Alrighty. It appeared as though they were trying to retake the compound, but the group claimed they were trying to gather evidence of Roden's crimes, but they didn't have a camera on them. This sounds like a video game objective. Mm Mm-hmm. It does. It really does. Yeah. So... The group was obviously arrested. I don't know. It didn't wasn't clear on what they were charged with. I'm guessing having illegal weapons mm-hmm. and maybe trespassing. But the seven followers were actually found not guilty by the jury. And the jury was unable to come to a verdict on Koresh. Yeah. And so a mistrial was declared. So that was kind of just that. So awkward. So, 1989, Roden murders Wayman Dale Adair with an axe blow to the skull after Adair stated his belief that he himself was actually the true messiah. Um, Wrong move. Wrong move, yeah. And Roden was then judged insane and confined to a psychiatric hospital at Big Spring, Texas. And since Roden owed thousands of dollars in unpaid taxes on the Mount Carmel Center, Koresh and his followers were able to raise the money and reclaim the property. Great. Awesome. Rodin continued to harass the Koresh faction by filing legal papers while imprisoned. And when Koresh and his followers reclaimed the Mount Carmel Center, they discovered... They discovered that mm. the tenants who had rented from Roden, you know, just left behind their meth lab. Yeah, just some cool casual meth use. No big deal. Yeah, if I mean, if you didn't predict that there was going to be a meth lab in this story, how could you not? Yeah. Which Koresh reported to the local police department and asked to have removed. Awesome. Well, I mean, you did the right thing, Koresh. Yeah, yeah. No one really um, wants to be around that. So, meth lab, great. Awesome. Now, in 1993, Koresh has encouraged his followers to consider themselves, quote, students of the seven seals. Awesome. Rather than the Branch Davidians. And one of the followers even said that Koresh wanted them to be identified as Koreshians. Of course he does. Love that. Of course. Now, February 28th of 93, the ATF attempted to execute a search warrant relating to alleged sexual abuse and illegal weapons. The ATF attempted to breach the compound for two hours until their ammo ran low. Mm. Four ATF agents were killed and another 16 agents wounded and five Davidians were killed. Awesome. Shit got real, 
real fast. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like exchanging gunfire for like two hours Mm -hmm. with these people. That's a long time. You think about it and you're like, two hours, that's not that much. But when you're exchanging gunfire, that's like an eternity. Oh, yeah. Actively for two hours. Yeah, that's outrageous. So after the raid, ATF agents establish contact with Koresh inside the compound and the FBI took command after the deaths of the other agents and managed to negotiate the release of 19 children from the compound early on. That's a lot of little kids. Yeah, that's a lot of children and not even all of them. No. Now, on April 19th, of 93 almost a full two months later the siege was still happening Mm -hmm. and the fbi put an end to all of it uh because hello it's been it's been two months yeah and we're now using large weapons and armored vehicles as the davidians were heavily armed as well and the fbi even attempted to tear gas them yeah this is insane. This is this is serious. And I am just kind of asking myself why they let it just continue on for this long. Bring the armored vehicles out day one. Yeah. Yeah. They're using automatic weapons at you. Bring in the tanks yeah. after, as soon as that happens. Like bulldoze Jeez, your way in there. So after several Davidians opened fire... Um, the FBI increased the amount of tear gas being used. Three fires break out in different places of the building, and the FBI maintains the Davidians set them deliberately. Mm-hmm. It could be true. Um, yeah. And the fires resulted in burning Mount Carmel completely to the ground. Yes. And of the 85 branch Davidians in the compound when the final siege began... 76 of them died. 76 of 85 died on April 19th in, I mean, various ways. Um, Falling rubble, suffocating from smoke inhalation, gunfire, Mm -hmm. and 21 of those were under the age of 16. Yeah. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of children. So... The siege lasted a total of 51 days. That is so long. That's so long. 51 days. Jesus Christ. So that's crazy. And most people know about that. Yeah. Most people know about this, the Waco. Yeah. They, most people know about it. After the siege, criminal and civil litigation ensued, clearly. Of, Of course. And a grand jury indicted 12 of the surviving Davidians, charging them with aiding and abetting murder, unlawful possession of firearms, and eight were convicted of the weapons charges, five convicted of voluntary manslaughter, and um, four were acquitted of all. Yeah. So those numbers do not add up to 12. So I'm guessing... Only 12 were actually indicted, but more were charged. Right. Now, the profile of David Koresh. He was actually born Vernon Howell 
on August 17, 1959 in Houston, Texas. Now, his mom was 14 when he was born, and she was a single mother. Uh, her name was Bonnie Sue Clark, and his father's name was Bobby Wayne Howell. Bonnie Sue and Bobby Wayne. I mean... I love it. I love it. So his dad pretty much left immediately. He didn't meet his dad until much later in his life. I just can't get over being 14 years old. Mm -mm. What was I doing at 14? I was a freshman in high school. I was wearing a choker. You had like a Walkman, I'm sure. Yeah, I was wearing a choker. Um, I had a retainer. Coloring on my shoes in class. Yeah. All of my Converse sneakers... I got colored on all of them. Um, listening to the used very heavily. At Hot Topic a lot. Spent a lot of time at Hot Topic. I was impatiently awaiting for the sixth Harry Potter book to be released. I mean, I was in I was much too busy to be a single mother at 14. Absolutely. Doing I was had way too much on my plate at that point. So Bobby Sue. Wow. That, that's crazy. So, in 1963, when Koresh was four, his mom actually left with her boyfriend, and Koresh was put in the care of his maternal grandmother, Earlene Clark. Um, his mom was gone for about three years and returned when he was seven with a new husband, who was a carpenter named Roy Haldman. So... Bonnie and Roy, they had another son together named Roger, who was born in 1966. I think at this point, Koresh's life was probably kind of getting stable. His mm -hmm. mom is married, and he's got a brother, and, you know, he's back with his mom. It seems more normal-ish, I yeah. guess. And he actually didn't meet his father until he was 17 years old. So, that's crazy. When he was 19, Koresh actually had an illegal sexual relationship with a 15-year-old girl and got her pregnant. Yikes. I don't think charges were ever brought in relation to this. You know, at this time, it really wasn't as big of a deal as it would yeah, be now. I mean, people got married really, really young a they, lot. They did. And... I know the age difference between 15 and 19 is not that big of a deal. Like, it's not that much. The years aren't that much. If you were 20 and 24, no one would even bat an or eye. Or 18 and 22. Or 18 and 22, no one bat an eye. But 15 is very young. Mm -hmm. And 19 is an adult. So mm -hmm. this is statutory rape. Yeah. Bottom line. You know, your mental maturity between the ages of 15 and 19 are much different. Oh, yeah. So it's way easier for someone who's 19 to take advantage of someone who's 15. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, he he's definitely taken advantage of this girl. He, after this, decided to become a Christian in the Southern Baptist Church with his mom. And then they switched to become Seventh-day Adventists. I'm not totally sure the differences between being Baptist and Seventh-day Adventist, but there are some. I think Seventh-day Adventist might be a skosh more radical. 
Baptists yeah. are not radical. Right. It's much more common. It's, yeah. Oh, yes. So, I don't know. I feel like there are way too many Christian offshoots. And they're very, very different. Mm-hmm. Like, really different. Yeah, they are. Almost completely different religions. Catholic and Baptists are pretty much not the same religion at all. They use yeah. the same text, but very, very different. They have a pope, cardinals, bishops, Mother Mary. Yeah. None. It is different. None of that exists in Baptists or Protestant Christian groups, I guess you would call them. So that's confusing. Super confusing. I've never really understood that, to be honest. But whatever. That's Religion is confusing to me. Yeah. It is. It really is. Yeah. It's so confusing. There's so many rules. It's confusing. Whatever. So while at the Seventh-day Adventist church, Koresh becomes infatuated with the pastor's daughter. Oh, of course. And while praying for guidance, he opened his eyes and allegedly found the Bible open to Isaiah 34, 16, stating that none should want for her mate. Okay. okay. Um, convinced that this is a sign from God, Koresh approaches the pastor and tells him that God wanted him to have his daughter for a wife. That's one way to do that. <laughs> so, of course, the pastor's like, uh, fuck ya, and throws him out of the church. <laughs> <laughs> like, he may be a pastor, but he's still a father. Yeah, and he's like, no, 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 you, you can't be doing this shit. No, thank you. You don't just get to have my daughter. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Nope. So he throws him out of the church, and Koresh continued to persist in the pursuit of the pastor's daughter, and he was expelled from the congregation entirely. So, good job, Father Pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Dad? I don't know. It doesn't give his name, of course. Uh, But he's doing the right thing. He's not convinced. And he's like, yeah, no. That's a no for me, dude. (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Get get out. So at this point, Koresh moves to Waco and joins the Branch Davidians. He's, Here's where it all... That's when it just starts to get weird. Yeah. It seems like he's very radical. He's taking, you know, he's opening the Bible and thinking that the words there are telling him actual things. Like, yeah. I actually need to do this. So that's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. Koresh Um, is a problem. Koresh is a problem. So he joins the Divinians. Lois Roden is very taken with him. The congregation in general, I think, is very taken with him. As most... As... Most culty leaders seem to be. Seems so. Uh, So he acquires the position of spiritual leader and he changes his name to David. This is when he gets David Koresh. Uh, he picks this name because it suggests he had ties to King David from the Bible and Cyrus the Great. Koresh is the Hebrew version of the name Cyrus. 
Uh, so he wanted to create a new lineage of world leaders. Okay. Ooh, that sounds very Hitler to me. It does. Absolutely. So Full Hitler vibe. Full Hitler vibes here. Um, this practice or goal of creating the new lineage is, is the basis for allegations that Koresh was committing child abuse, uh, which contributed to the reason the ATF attempted to siege Mount Carmel. So, uh, yeah, problems. No, no, my friend. So Koresh just, he keeps getting more and more weird. Mm -hmm. He moves to interpreting Revelation 5-2 and identifies himself with the lamb mentioned. Mm. So this is traditionally believed to symbolize Jesus himself. However, Koresh suggested that the lamb would come before Jesus and pave the way for the second coming of Christ. So now he's literally putting himself on a tier above Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know what? Jesus is going to come, but I'm going to come first. Mm -hmm. I'm here now to get the world ready mm -hmm. for Jesus. Yeah. This is my job. This is my job. I'm the captain now. Yes. He's the captain now. He's steering the ship and... Not qualified at all. I... Not even a little bit. I, yeah. No thank you. At all. And he also begins claiming the gift of prophecy. Of course. So David Thibodeau, I think is how it's pronounced. He wrote a book in 1999 called A Place Called Waco. Uh, and he speculated that Koresh had a sexual relationship with Lois Roden, which obviously we already have said that. And we've talked about that he wanted to father a child with Lois to be the chosen one. <laughs> and in 1983, Lois had began allowing Koresh to teach his own message. And this message is called The Serpent's Root. Mm-hmm. And it caused much controversy. So we've got the, you know, shepherd's rod originally from Victor Hotef. And now we have the serpent's root from Koresh. Yeah. I'm seeing similarities here. It's, there are three words. We've got the shepherd's rod, the serpent's root. The same acronym would be applied to both. Yeah. I don't know. And... Koresh was exercising his new authority of being spiritual leader and taking several spiritual wives among the group's unmarried members. And in 1989, he asserted that he was the perfect mate for all female members and confided to the Davidians to his intention to create a new lineage of children. He's trying to create a race. Maybe not a race, but... A new line of human beings to rule the world. I mean, and what was his plan after only his children were the best human beings? I don't know. I don't know that he fully had a plan after he'd conceived these children mm -hmm. on how he was going to take over the whole world. I, I don't think he actually had a plan for that. No. I think he probably was just like, I want to 
have sex with all these different women. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to use this as a way to do that. Yeah. So he's just a sexual predator. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's usually what they are. Yeah. Yes, of course. Hate to stereotype anyone, but sorry, cult leaders. Yeah. You're probably a sexual predator. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. anyway, but Koresh was one of the 85 Davidians killed during the Waco siege on April 19th, 1993. This is just such a weird story. Yeah, it, it really it, is. And it lasted for so long. It lasted for such Almost a long time. Almost 60 years? Yeah. This was a thing? Such a long time. It's so... Usually cults are like 10 years. Yeah. You know, before people start catching on. Yeah. I think probably when Victor Hotef was... Alive, it was probably not super culty. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, the compound is culty and all of that, but I think he was just a little more radical than the Seventh day Adventists. Right. But he wasn't doing this shit. He didn't rename himself anything. So I think the first like 10, 20 years, he started in 35 and then he died in 55. So I think that chunk of time was probably just a little more low key. A little more low key. Yeah. And then Florence is like, yo, apocalypse, what's up? Yeah. And it got, it just went straight to shit after that. God damn it, Florence. Florence. The fuck? All right. So we're going to talk a little bit, and this is all, we're almost done here. Yeah. There are some points that need to be made on some sexual abuse allegations regarding Koresh. Mm -hmm. So he was alleged to have been involved in multiple incidents of physical and sexual abuse of children. Yeah. And his doctrine of the House of David did lead to, quote, marriages with both married and single women in the Branch Davidians. Mm. So this doctrine was based on the purported revelation that involved the procreation of 24 children by chosen women in the community. Mm. And these 24 children were to serve as the ruling elders over the millennium after the return of Christ. So this is all very specific. Uh huh. These women purportedly chosen... Through this doctrine included at least one underage girl, Michelle Jones, who was the younger sister of Koresh's legal wife, Rachel, and the daughter of lifelong Branch Davidians, Perry and Mary Bell Jones. Confusing. Mm -hmm. Confusing. A six-month investigation of sexual abuse allegations by the Texas Child Protective Services in 1992 failed to turn up any evidence and this was possibly because the branch davidians concealed the spiritual marriage of koresh to michelle assigning a surrogate husband david thibodeau to the girl for the sake of appearances so koresh is secretly spiritually married to michelle and david thibodeau is like publicly married yes. to Michelle. Lots of covering up. Lots happening. of covering. I don't know that having a public husband is much of a cover up because that seems predatory as well. Mm-hmm. 
So, okay. But regarding the allegations of physical abuse, the evidence is much less certain. In one widely reported incident, ex-members claimed that Koresh became irritated with the cries of his son Cyrus and spanked the child severely for several minutes on three consecutive visits to the child's bedroom. In a second report, a man involved in a custody battle visited the Mount Carmel Center and claimed to have seen the beating of a young boy with a stick. Mm. Ugh. No. Now... Finally, the FBI's justification for forcing an end to the 51-day standoff was predicated on the charge that Koresh was abusing children inside the center. Yes. I I mean, that's where they're all at, so. Allegations had been made that he had fathered children with underage girls Mm -hmm. inside of the Branch Davidians. And in the hours that followed the deadly conflagration... Attorney General Janet Reno told reporters, this is a quote, we had specific information that babies were being beaten. Huh. Now, FBI Director William Sessions publicly denied the charge and told reporters that they had no such information about child abuse inside the center. So. Okay. Okay. And a careful examination of the other child abuse charges found the evidence to be weak and ambiguous, casting doubt on the allegations. Alrighty. Whatever. Now, the allegations of child abuse largely stem from detractors and ex-members. Which makes sense. Makes so much sense. And in the 1993 Justice Department report cites allegations of child sexual and physical abuse. Legal scholars point out that the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, ATF, had no legal jurisdiction in the matter of child protection. It makes sense. Right, right. And these accounts appear to have been inserted by the ATF to inflame the case against Koresh. Now, but it does make sense to me that a goal of ATF while in this battle would would be in the interest of the children present. Right. I I think it makes sense because obviously the FBI is involved. Yeah. So it would make sense that the FBI would be like, we know for a fact they have illegal weapons. Mm -hmm. So we're going to send the ATF and cite the actual like the search warrant is going to be based on knowledge that they have illegal weapons right but we also suspect that there are children being harmed yeah so that's the reason we're actually going to storm the gates but the reason on paper is because we have hard evidence and know for a fact they have weapons yeah that makes 100 percent sense Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know why there's like this this argument argument about it. it's like well, both can be true yeah we can be doing this together to solve both problems exactly so here is an account of former branch davidian janine buns this is in an atf affidavit she claimed that koresh had fathered at least 15 children Ugh. with various women and girls and that she had personally delivered seven of these babies Jesus. So 
That's a lot of kids. I, I I'm having like David Berg flashbacks. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Ugh, David Berg. David Koresh. Damn. I mean, sorry to everyone who's named David, but I am now suspicious of all of you. (laughs) (laughs) So she also claims that Koresh would annul all marriages of couples who joined the group, red fucking flag, and had exclusive sexual access to the women and girls. Uh. Thank you for coming. You are now not married. And... The woman you arrived with is now mine. Yeah. It, it's like, what's weird is this cult was existing simultaneously with the children of God. Yeah. And David Berg died in 94. And this shit happened in 93. Wild, wild fucking time. And very similar things are happening. Like, yeah, David Berg absolutely, like... All the men in the Children of God had access sexually to the women of the cult. Yeah. Why? That seems to be, like, the the sole focus of yes. cults. Yes. Yes. So disgusting. And women are, like, chattel. Yeah. Just, they're just there for whoever's taking. Disgust. Gross. So, in a book... James Tabor states that on a videotape that was sent out of the compound during the siege, Koresh actually acknowledged that he had fathered more than 12 children by several wives. Mm. On March 3rd, 1993, during negotiations to secure the release of the remaining children, Koresh advised hostage negotiators that, quote, my children are different than those others, referring to his direct lineage versus the children who had previously been released. Right. So these are the chosen ones yes. that he's keeping. And right. he released the others because he just simply didn't care about them. Ugh, that's so sad. It's so sad and like disgusting. And yeah. And so. it really wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. We like you weren't alive, but I was. Al- I was three years old. I was about old. to be alive. I was two and a half when this occurred. Yeah, That's... I was negative one. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, negative zero. I don't know. If I was born a year after this, negative one. But I wasn't one when it happened. Yeah, it would be negative one. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I should take a math class. (laughs) Awkward. Awkward. Yeah, so that's kind of it on this. I think, obviously. Like, there's a lot, but there's not a lot. Yeah, it's like... There's a lot of little things. There's a lot of little things. That are big things. Yeah, I think the thing about this cult is there wasn't a ton of hard evidence that shit was happening. Right. It's not like in Children of God where you have, like, the the Moe's letters and the weird movies that they created of children taking their clothes off. And, yeah. like, they had, there was so much more evidence on the Children of God 
than there was on this one. Yeah. And this one was just full insanity, full insanity. And I think the ending with the Waco siege and all of that and Koresh being shot and killed. Koresh was actually killed by a fellow Davidian. So it was like his like right hand man. I think at this point they were like realizing that Koresh was. This is fucking insane. Yeah, that he was out of his goddamn mind and none of this was real. Yeah. And he just fucking shot him. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's so weird. It, they, 51 days in a siege is outrageous. Extremely. I can't even think of 50 days. Like, that's too long for me to even want to count on a calendar. Yeah. I just don't understand the reason. Like, I know in these kind, it's kind of like a hostage situation because there were they knew there were children in there. And so they didn't want to, like, obviously create a situation where those children would be harmed or any of the other people would be harmed. Mm-hmm. But at what point do you just say, this has gone on long enough? Yeah. Like, we have to do something. I think the point is not 51 days. I think it's before that. Yeah, maybe like two. <laughs> yeah. You can't just have a standoff in like indefinitely. No. What what are you just like tag teaming it? Or are you just like, all right, I'm off duty now, I'm going home? Like it feels like an actual war. Yeah. You know, and why why haven't you won yet? Well, yes. I mean I know they had weapons, but Jesus Christ. Y- y'all have the numbers. Yeah. Bring that shit in. Yeah. Are you having a standoff with someone else in some other part of the country? And yeah. And you can't, you can't use the resources? What's happening? It, I just don't understand. Somebody please explain it to me. 51 goddamn days. I mean, seven days would be too long. One day is too long. It's insane. Just get in there. I'm shaking my head, everyone. Yeah. I don't. I don't have anything else to say. I don't either. That's but, um, fucking ridiculous. I'm sure you all have probably, like, watched some documentary on this at some point. I know I have. Yeah. I'm, there's a lot of good shit out there. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can find on this. Um, I actually listened to a podcast episode by the Sisters Grimm podcast. So Ooh. I... I searched Branch Davidians in Apple Podcast search tool and their episode came up and I listened to it. Um, they actually reminded me a lot of us. They're just oh, like... They're I like their name. Actual sisters. Oh, fuck yeah. And so they just kind of like do kind of what we do. Sweet. So um, yeah, they're good. Check them out. Obviously, I haven't been in contact with them at all. I just listened to their episode and yeah. it was fine. Yeah. Uh, and it's Sisters Grim, Grim with two M's. Mm-hmm. So like a play on the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. So right, very cool. That I listened to that. There were a couple of other shows that have covered this cult. I didn't listen to any of the episodes. They weren't shows that I had heard of, but you know yeah. they're out. They're out there. You know, I mostly just read articles about this group. Instead. Yeah, which is in our description if yeah. you want to read through those. I yeah, mean, it's not going to be a boring read. There's a lot of, like, interesting things about this group. I did link the Sisters Grimm podcast website in our sources, so mm-hmm. it'll be in the description also. So that brings us to our 
please add us and follow us on all of our social channels. Yes. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We got that email. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can do this on any other platform but Apple Podcasts. Yeah, I think they're the only ones that you can rate and review. Yeah. If you're listening to us on Apple and you enjoyed this even a little bit, just rate us five stars. Please, please. We, we would love it. We love it. It helps us so much. You know, and feel free to send us a message on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Because mm-hmm. we'd love to talk to you. We want to hear your opinions, suggestions, requests. Um, We're actually getting ready to get around to a request from one of my very good friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, we're we're telling you that because we actually want your requests because we want to do episodes on them. Yeah, we want to do the episodes you want to hear, of course. Yeah. And so. big ups to Haley and Ariel, as always. Yes, of course. I, I've i gotten compliments on both our logo and our music. Yes. Uh, we are part of several different podcaster groups mm-hmm. on Facebook, and a lot of them have commented on our logo. Yeah, a so. lot. One thing I meant to talk about at the top of the episode that I missed is that we have crowned our newest drag superstar. Oh. Season 13 winner of RuPaul's Drag Race is Simone, the Emily Enchantress. Oh, I loved Simone. This was the first season of Drag Race that I watched like week to week. Yeah. I've seen... Every single episode of Drag Race, but usually I would just wait until all the episodes. So you can binge. Yes. Um, but this one I watched week to week, and the top four were <laughs> all amazing. But I'll be honest with you. I usually love every single contestant of every season in some way. Mm-hmm. So I usually am, like, just happy to be watching and right. don't really have, like... There are a few that I would have been, like, kind of, like, if Shea Coulee would not have won All-Stars 5, I, I would have probably raged because she fucking deserved it and she's amazing. But this season, I knew it was probably going to be between Simone and Rosé. Simone won and she deserved it. She's awesome. So it was, it was... Congratulations. It was epic. And if you don't watch Drag Race... I don't know what you're doing with your life because it's everything. So congratulations to Simone and everybody else who was on Drag Race because you all fucking killed it. So anyway, we're really happy that you joined us. Yeah, dudes. For this episode. So I'm about to go meet my plumber. So much fun. It's going to be great. But anyway, in the meantime, we just want you guys to be kind out there. And stay weird. Okay, goodbye. Bye.